Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Tonight, straight from the source, new charges against Donald Trump and a new co-defendant. What prosecutors say about how the boss wanted surveillance video destroyed and why the audio of Trump discussing classified military plans can no longer be dismissed as bravado. This, as Trump sees another indictment in the other investigation, is all but a done deal. What the former president is saying about today's closed-door meeting with prosecutors investigating January 6th and what the special counsel's office is and isn't telling his attorneys. Plus, he briefed Trump on classified intelligence on a near-daily basis for two years. Dan Coates will join me for an exclusive interview. I'm Caitlin Collins, and this is The Source. Tonight, Donald Trump is facing new federal charges and he has a new co-defendant as prosecutors are now accusing the former president of asking Walt Nada and Carlos de Oliveira to delete security camera footage from his Florida resort. These are new court documents and they lay out in detail, in intricate detail, I should note, that the steps that were taken to make sure that footage would be destroyed after it had been subpoenaed by the Justice Department. De Oliveira, who was the head of maintenance at Mar-a-Lago, is quoted as saying that the boss wanted that server deleted. Trump has also now been charged specifically for withholding top secret plans for a possible attack on Iran. It's the very document Trump has heard here discussing on the audio that CNN brought you first. This was the Defense Department and him. Wow. We looked at some. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. Mm-hmm. All sorts of stuff. Pages long, look. Mm. Wait a minute, let's see here. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I just found, isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know. Mm-hmm. Except it is like highly confidential. Yeah. <laughs> Except it is like highly confidential, he has heard saying there. There are new details in what is now known as this superseding indictment. It contradicts Trump's denials about actually having the classified attack plans in that meeting. But we're going to get to that in a moment. I'm joined now by CNN's Evan Perez, Laura Coates, Gloria Borger, along with Brandon Van Grack, who is a former senior national security official at the Justice Department. Thank you all for being here. Let me start with you, because we were waiting all day to see if Trump was going to be indicted in the other investigation. Then word came down, adding on new charges uh, to the former indictment of the classified documents. What do you make of the new charges? What's the most serious? I think there are two things. The first is this destruction of evidence, uh, and not just the co-defendant, but again, the destruction of evidence. And I think there are two parts of that, which is, it's one thing to lie. The truth still exists. You're just not, if you're the law enforcement, you don't get it. When you destroy evidence, a tape, it no longer exists if it's destroyed. So I think the seriousness of the obstruction, I think, is escalated based on the conduct here. And what you have is that destruction is directly connected to the former president. The second piece is one of the documents that you talked about 
um, uh, on there connecting to the, the briefing that occurred at Bedminster. That's now a charge. Before it was sort of an allegation that there was this disclosure, and now it's actually one of the criminal charges. So it escalates the seriousness of it. But on the idea that there is a new co-defendant, I mean, in the fact that it seemed like it was being orchestrated at the direction of Trump, you know, Carlos saying he, the, that the boss wanted this deleted. I mean, what do you make of the fact that there is now a third name on these charges? Now you've got the connective tissue and the thread that you really need to be able to prove that there is some relationship conspiratorially between the people who've already been named, Walt Nada, of course, Donald Trump, and now somebody else as well. This is really critical here because normally we've been talking about cases where you're trying to infer the conversations or the substance of communications that would lead you to really have a factual basis for saying there was a conspiracy. But you're having actually plotting a scheme, and you have people who are still yet unnamed, which to me indicates that you've got witnesses who are testifying, who are not being indicted themselves, who have every incentive to be truthful, to be honest, and to be forthcoming about what has been seen. This is the somebody who was in a position to oversee the IT technology at Mar-a-Lago. There's indication in this complaint and in indictment, or um, but it's saying that listen. This person was reluctant to actually erase anything, didn't believe they had the rights to do so, and instead was told privately, what are we going to do because the boss wants this done. I'm paraphrasing here. This suggests to you that through line, the prosecutors would actually need to establish their case. And can we talk about who Carlos himself is? I mean, he's not a household name. He's going to be right. now. But he's someone who, who used to park cars at Mar-a-Lago. He's the head of maintenance there. It's a job he took over just last summer, I believe. And now he is now named in here because of what he was urging others to do and to delete. Right. And certainly in, in our discussions, uh, you know, privately here at CNN, you know, we've known a lot about him and we were wondering when he might make an appearance in in this case. And now we see he, he's indicted. Uh, we know that he was one of the people that was working with, with Walt Nada. They were seen on video moving boxes. Uh, apparently, uh, Carlos de Oliveira is the one who was uh, assigned to put on the lock on the storage room, which is what um, the Trump team had told uh, prosecutors and told the Justice Department that they were going to secure all of those boxes, all of those documents, uh, to make sure that they were in a safe place. And then, obviously, after that, prosecutors knew that the, do- the boxes were moved. One of the things that, that, that to me, really stands out is... You know, this, uh, this, this, this uh, indictment, this new indictment, uh, really brings forward the timeline, right? Because the previous one really stops back in June of 2022 when, when they come and they retrieve the boxes. And, of course, we know the FBI went and did a subsequent search. This fills in so many of the blanks that we knew that there, were something, there was something amiss and that there were witnesses who had come forward to the Justice Department and told them that boxes were moved and that there was an effort of obstruction. This really fills in the blanks on that obstruction picture, well, it, and it's a lot worse once they get the subpoena for those surveillance. Well, it kind of turns the former president into the, the wizard behind the curtain, because that's what this says. And can you sort of imagine this? You think you've gotten away with it, according to this, and, you know, the president himself meets uh, with the FBI with the Justice Department, with his own attorneys, and he declares, according to this document, that he's an open book. That's mm-hmm. a quote. I'm, I'm just an open book. Earlier that day, he had documents flown to Bedminster. Then wait a minute. All of a sudden, the FBI discovers that there is a surveillance system there, and they suddenly say, oh, no. They know there's a surveillance system there. And then the second part of obstruction 
takes place because they have to figure out how are they going to get rid of a those whole tapes. A set of crimes. So it's a whole new set of crimes. It's part one and part two. Well, and I wonder how you, you read that because, I mean, there's a very detailed effort of what went down here, which is the De- Justice Department sub- subpoenas this footage. An attorney calls Trump. Trump then calls his new co-defendant here. And then his new co-defendant is just working with his other co-defendant uh, in order, you know, walking through tunnels underground, looking at where the surveillance cameras were outside, where the documents were kept, talking to the guys, going in the room to have a little chat about what to do about this. So when you have a trial, like you're telling a narrative, you are projecting a story to your jury. And what you see here is that narrative coming more into picture. There's more color here. But I think there's something, and it's a term that we've now heard throughout the day and we're going to hear, which is consciousness of guilt. This is evidence. And what it means is in our legal system, you don't, you're not convicted of a crime by an accident or, or a misunderstanding. You have to have intentionality, sort of knowledge and awareness. And the evidence with respect to the destruction, that's the purpose of it. You don't destroy a video unless you don't want that video to be shown. You want to hide it. That's awareness that there's something on there. And what we know was on there, or appears to be on there, was in fact the failure to produce classified documents to the Justice Department as required by the subpoena. What they also had was notice that they wanted this information back. This is not something where in the due course of business that the surveillance footage gets erased or it's not maintained in the ordinary course of business. You You have allegations here that De Oliveira went to ask about how long this sort of thing gets retained. And then there is a timeline that talks about trying to delete it, which you could infer then that they were aware that likely there was data contained on the surveillance footage that would be possibly inculpatory in some respects and incriminating to suggest that it's still there and now get rid of it. And so being on notice for several months, really almost the better part of a year, that there are documents that we would like you to return. And here it, here it is. Remember, the attorney, Evan Corcoran, who everyone thought, oh, my God, you mean a federal judge is saying that the attorney-client privilege is going to be pierced under the crime fraud exception because you're trying to use your relationship here to hide something? We thought that would be the ultimate moment. It turns out that attorney was so duped by this orchestration and allegations as are laid out here of some greater plan to hide everything even from them. But, but and they wanted him to lie to yes. a grand jury, it says in here. It says mm-hmm. that Trump and Walt and, and Carlos all conspired to keep the classified documents and conceal them from a federal grand jury. And their own Senate. lawyer, and, and, you know, conceal it from his lawyer, who uh, obviously dictated contemporaneous notes about every single thing that was going on. And I think that's very damaging to Donald Trump as well because he was apparently lying to his own uh, legal counsel. And not one, of to, and, I'm sorry, one, one of the interesting yeah. things here that, you know, where he describes uh, where Doyle Oliveira talks to Trump and Trump tells him he's going to hire a lawyer for yeah. him, right? Yes, that's where I was going next. That's to me, that's fascinating because, uh, you know, again, you can imagine at a trial, right, that the prosecutors are going to present evidence that shows that the former president is using this practice, which is to pay for the lawyers of these people, to try to keep them on the team. And so what they have here is uh, signal encrypted messages where Trump, uh, where, I'm sorry, where Trump employees are talking amongst each other about whether, uh, you know, is, uh, someone wants to make sure Carlos is good. Again, someone saying uh, Carlos is going to be loyal. And then, you know, again, it's a little bit of a scene from like a mob movie, but really we're talking about the former president of the United States. And what he's doing here is he's paying for lawyers for people to keep them on the team. And I think what you're getting a picture here is that the prosecutors are going to tell the jurors 
this is how he planned to help complete the obstruction picture. And, and by the way, when was the last time you had a 24-minute telephone well, conversation Well, I was just going to mention anyone? that. I mean, a 24-minute <laughs> conversation. Yeah. We've been talking for 11 minutes so far. Add 13 minutes to that. My math but, is still yeah. good. And that's how long the President of the United States spoke to this person. That is it's so telling. About what? About what? About what? What was said? What was the nature of the communication? Where does it fit in the timeline? Yeah, and he's going to court on Monday, we know. Carlos mm-hmm. will appear there with that attorney that is being paid for, has been paid by Trump's super PAC. But the document, we also talked about that because we have kind of been gaslit by Trump's attorneys and people in Trump's world who have said, well, maybe he wasn't really holding a document. Maybe it was just bravado. Trump himself said that the document didn't exist. Right. There was no document. That was a massive amount of papers and everything else talking about Iran and other things. And it may have been held up or may not, but that was not a document. I didn't have a document per se. There was nothing to declassify. These were newspaper stories, magazine stories, and articles. The document is now charged. Well, and it it was a remark, it was a sort of glaring omission in the first, the allegation. Again, there's, right now he's only being charged with retention unlawfully retaining classified documents, not transmitting them. Those are two different charges. But the original indictment said, oh, in these two instances, including the recording, he showed a classified document, but it wasn't charged. And you know, the, the reality is not all, every classified document was charged here, but it wasn't charged. Now that it's charged, it, it, it's important to understand the distinction. Retention means there's the possibility that someone could get access to, to the classified information. You've unlawfully retained it. Transmission means you've disclosed it to someone who didn't have authorization. So it actually makes the damage to national security more tangible. And more difficult for Donald Trump. I mean, well, I mean, you know, it's one thing to have it, it's another thing to do show and tell. And charge it now. Well, so, you know, the speculation was they may not have known which of the classified documents they had were this one. If he's waving a classified document, how do you confirm it. But the fact that they, they now are saying we can show beyond a reasonable doubt this is a document they're recording and it just it's more compelling. And it now. suggests, right, that either they have the document, either probably from the national security, from the, from the intelligence agencies, or they have uh, witnesses who have described and corroborated this is the document he showed me. Well, uh, you know, some, there is some way that they well, know. Yes. If I could just make one other speculation, because we don't know why it wasn't charged, which is there is a process to get authorization to charge a classified document. Mm-hmm. And sometimes documents are so mm-hmm. sensitive, the intelligence community says, you cannot show that to a jury and judge. For all we know, one of the issues was originally there was resistance to the use and the showing of this document to jury. Right. And, and for all we know, perhaps... And maybe that that's why for they that chose reason. one of these documents, because yeah. there were probably many more than one, as we know. Yeah. Right? We'll have to leave it there. Brandon, Gloria, Evan, Laura, thank you all for being here. And stay with our breaking news, because up next, we are going to get perspective from someone who knows how Trump handled classified intelligence better than anyone. His former top, top official will join me after the break. Tonight, Jack Smith is adding major new accusations to the charges that Donald Trump mishandled national security documents after he left office. All of this is putting the spotlight on how the 45th president handled classified and sensitive information. I'm joined now tonight by someone who provided Trump with near daily intelligence briefings in his first two years in office, the former director of national intelligence, Dan Coats. And thank you so much for being here. I think I should start by saying, you know, we brought you on to talk about election security, something that you care deeply about. And then, obviously, this breaking news happened uh, Mm -hmm. regarding your former boss. I mean, 
as the director of national intelligence, you did brief him on a daily basis. Did you ever have concerns about how he handled classified information? Are you surprised by any of this? Well, I assume that his staff, uh, as my staff did for me and everybody else, uh, remind him that this is classified, it has to be careful. Um, I didn't have a direct talk with him on that. Some, uh, his chief of staff, Jack, John Kelly and others and so forth, were managing that. So I think everybody assumed that the president knew the president was aware of the fact that classification mattered. And it's sacrosanct, really. And a lot of times people say, well, what's the big deal about all of this? If you walk into the lobby of the CIA and look to the right wall, you see a bunch of stars. Their names aren't there because they're recovered, but they're dead because somebody got their names out, maybe on a classified document. If you, we put millions of dollars into technology for gathering intelligence. And if that's breached because somebody gets a classified document floating around or knows of it, we lose that information that we are grabbing. So it's more than just a bunch of papers and what big deal is this and so forth. Um, lives can be lost. Money can be misspent. We can be, our, our adversaries are out there searching, trying to get this kind of information because they want to undermine us. These are, so we have these threats that come in. And so it's, it's, something that we remind our people every day, every time every new person comes into the DNI or to any other intelligence agency, you must do this. You must take care of it. Don't carry this around. Put it in the safe before you leave. There's deadly consequences. It, it's, yeah, there are deadly consequences. And when you hear the, you know, what we've learned about the new document, you know, it was it was related to a potential attack plan on Iran. I mean, as you know, you don't just drop a new plan like that every day, regardless of whether or not you're using it. I mean, the idea that the accusation he was showing it to people who didn't have security clearances. And those people perhaps wouldn't take a big deal out of, out of this. There are people out there that know these other people, know they're going to a person, whether it's the president, whether it's the director of national intelligence or something else, and buying off or trying to get it information from something, something like that. So you never can be sure. Uh, it's classified for a reason. It's classified because we don't want others to know what's happening. And a, a normal person, a regular person like me, if I took classified documents or something like this, would, would be prosecuted. I mean, we see that happen on a pretty regular basis. Well, there are people basis. in prison uh, who have taken stuff home when they knew they shouldn't have taken it home. Maybe it was pr truly innocent, on it, but it's, it's so critical that we abide by the rules. And obviously, those of us in high positions are surrounded by people who know that. And so if I leave something on my desk and walk out the door, somebody runs after me or grabs that and puts it back in the safe, say, hey, you left that in your drawer. Uh, I mean, they go through my desk. <laughs> Uh, it's got to go back into the safe. Oops, sorry about that. Yeah, and I take it you don't think it, classified information belongs at a private golf club. That's for sure. <laughs>
your, in your resignation letter in 2019, you wrote, uh, the intelligence community is stronger than ever and increasingly well-prepared to meet new challenges and opportunities. You have been very vocal in talking about the security of U.S. elections and defending them and just how important that is. How do you convince people in this day and age that their votes are safe, that they're not being manipulated when the person that you used to work for is saying on a daily basis that that they were. You know, the intelligence community um, deals with foreign threats to the United States. We know the Russians have tried to undermine our democracy in many, many different ways. We know the Chinese have done that, the Iranians have done that, and other enemies have done that. And they do it through various methods, uh, cyber and spreading through media and so forth, uh, all kinds of conspiracy theories, and undermining the, inte- the integrity of our government, of who we are, and more than that, undermining our democracy. We've had 250 years of the most amazing country of, in the history of, of the world. And uh, wasn't it Franklin said, you know, what did we just have our founding fathers give us? Um, gave us a republic, if we can keep it. And so what I'm really concerned and why I'm so engaged in terms of thanking you for letting me talk about finding, ensuring our public that we are doing everything we possibly can to prevent, whether it's foreign or whether it's domestic, people who are trying to undermine our democracy. Because if we lose that, we lose everything. We become a third world country. It's which party is, is which, which party is, is the one that has uh, done the most damage uh, to take over and then never give up. So it's all tied into this, but election security, the American people have to have confidence in what we've done. And I can tell you a lot of things about what we have done to ensure that everybody's vote is legitimate. But he knew that. I mean, we have reported that in the other investigation Jack Smith is looking into, Trump got a briefing in the Oval Office February 2020, was told what intelligence agencies and your former colleagues had done to secure the election. And months later, he's the leader spreading conspiracies about that and making people feel like their votes weren't safe. Well, my role was to... uh, provide to the best of our ability uh, the basic facts of what threats were to America and what th- things we needed to be, he needed to be aware of and his staff needed to be aware of situations that would be undermining our very, very wonderful democracy that we have. And so um, what was done after, I, my job was to present it to him uh, my job was not to implement policy, but we wanted the president to know exactly what was happening to the best of our abilities. Yeah, and what did you think when, I mean, your concern was that people, you said this before the election, that people would on election night would, would be upset that those weren't the results as votes were still being counted. He came down and said, I won the election before the votes had all been counted. I mean, what went through your mind when you heard that? Well, I knew we had been at a major effort, and I took a lead as DNI with our intelligence agencies to put a 
group together my top people from each of the agencies say, look, we have to really dig into this to make sure that our elections are secure. We worked with Homeland Security on the, on the domestic side, and we've spent hundreds of millions of dollars. We've sent people out to work with governors. We wanted to make sure that we had all the implements in place to guarantee that every person's vote was legitimate. If we lose confidence from the American people in terms of their vote doesn't matter, our democracy will decline and maybe we'll, won't be a democracy anymore. We have to have integrity of that. So we have to put in place all the systems that if there's a glitch, there's a problem, let's go after it. We said we must have paper backup. We must have audits. We welcome audits. If something goes wrong, a Republican can stand here and a Democrat can stand here and they can watch the count and see what happened. If there was a fraud and the other person won, we accept that. But as we know, in 2020, there were, what, 65,000 court cases. No one could provide cases, any yeah. proof whatsoever. We had audits many times, some states three times. Some states, people said, oh, if they hire them, uh, they'll surely be on our side. Oops, no, we didn't find it. So we've done everything we can to put in place the process to make sure that the people who are voting know that their vote counts and is, there's no, no reason why uh, this person should you know, not win that election. Mr. Dan Coates, we have a few more questions for you. I hope you'll stick with okay. us. I know there are major issues, of course, Ukraine, Russia as well. We'll be back in just a moment. More of that, also the view of the 2024 Republican primary, back in a moment. Tonight, we're monitoring new charges against former President Donald Trump in the classified documents probe. We're bringing you those developments as we unfold. But to continue our conversation with the person who briefed former President Trump on intelligence on a near daily basis for two years, Dan Coats is back here with us. I do want to ask you, because one of the points of tension, if I will say this, between you and Trump, what was Russia and how outspoken you were about them being an adversary. And you had long said, you know, the U.S. should make sure they were aligned with European allies. What do you make of what you're seeing in Ukraine right now with Russia's, Russia's invasion? Well, right now, uh, I think it's more important than any of us can believe or want to see happen. Um, we cannot allow Russia and Putin to win. Uh, it'll be just the beginning of nightmare relative to NATO, relative to neighboring areas. Russia will keep, Putin will keep grabbing pieces of land. Uh, he's got a long-term plan. He'll never step down. You cannot trust a thing he says. Uh, he will not give up. Uh, he will fight to the end. Uh, it'll have major consequences to the future of this country and many, many other countries and NATO countries. Uh, and it'll put us back into a war situation Cold War situation, and so we have to do everything we possibly can to support the Ukrainians in this no one anticipated 
that they would stand up to the Russians. We've learned a lot about the Russian military. Yeah. That well, when, when Trump says you know, he could solve what's happening there in 24 hours, what, what's your reaction to that? The only way to do this in 24 hours is give Putin everything he wanted. And I don't think that we should do that. But do you think, I mean, you served with Trump. I mean, you saw how he treated Putin. I mean, you were there when he sided with Putin over U.S. intelligence agencies. I, I, don't, I can't answer that. I, maybe he just threw that out. I'm, there's no way in 24 hours you're going to stop what's happening there. But more importantly, we have to stand by and stand with the Ukrainians uh, because the consequences of this is not just simply something over there in, in Eastern Europe. The consequences will ripple across all of Europe, all of Scandinavia, and we'll be back into a world situation that we do not want to get into. Well, and you had a pretty blunt response, I should note, after Trump did did side with Putin on that stage over U.S. intelligence agencies. But when you're talking about the importance of Ukraine being successful here, and you see Republicans in your party, a party you have long been a member of, the Republican Party, doubting the idea of, of funding Ukraine, of supporting Ukraine. I mean, what is your message to them? If they're worried about spending some money here to help Ukraine win this war, um, they're going to be really concerned about the amount of money that's going to have to be spent to stop Russia from what they're doing. And that's going to bring us into, that's going to bring it into us, uh, us into a terrible situation in Eastern Europe, uh, moving all the way back, th- back through the West. All of our NATO allies say, you've got to stay with us. We've got to stay together. Uh, uh, Putin will just keep going. And uh, uh, we've got to stop him now. If we don't, uh, we're going to pay a high price. You are here with me tonight. You have obviously spoken out about the importance of, of securing U.S. elections. We're approaching another election. How are you approaching that Republican primary? Well, on the pri- Primary, I think we have some very good candidates, and I'm not sure how all of this is going to you know, re- end up. Uh, I don't think we should make a, de- a decision at this particular point in time that one person is going to win and nobody else should. should who knows what's going to happen in the next uh, months or so. But in terms of the 2024 election, uh, I'm working with this group, Republicans and Democrats that are retired or out of, Congress and so forth. Uh, we're a split team, and we've all agreed taking, totally taking politics out of this and making sure we can ensure the American people that would, we will make this a legitimate election. And we have, you have to have confidence uh, in this, or we will lose our, our democracy. And so we're making every effort. Tim, uh, 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 fellow uh, Indiana, um, Tim Romer, who was, we both were ambassadors. He's a Democrat, I'm a Republican. I said, Tim, I can't join up for something for uh, uh, the who win or whatever. He said, no, we all have had an oath to say we're going to focus everything on getting it legitimate. If the other guys win, they win. Yeah. We win, we win. And you've said that you are... Mike Pence, obviously, you are both from the same home state. He's running against Donald Trump, and he's not running with him on the same ticket as he did last time. Mm -hmm. Yes, I am supporting him, and I think he did the right thing at the right time to save our democracy uh, under tremendous pressure. Uh, He did what our founding fathers gave us. It was a gift, the gift of America, freedom. You're talking about January 6th. Yes, yes, a very generous gift. 
And, and what did Donald Trump do on that. that day, in your view? And Mike saved us from that. Otherwise, we've been a third world nation. The tough guy wins, and then it all shuts down. There have been riots across this country. It have been terrible. But he followed his oath of office. He followed the Constitution. He did the right thing at the right time. What does it say that he's running against your former boss, that Mike, Mike Pompeo has said he's not going to support him. Bill Barr has said similar. That you've seen so many people that you served with in that in that cabinet that you look at those first meetings from 2017, who now are either running against him or say they won't support Donald Trump. Well, I mean, each person uh, comes to whatever they think is best. Uh, um, obviously, I'm a Republican. Um, I think we have some very, very good candidates. I'm not making any decisions in terms of what I'm going to be doing, but I'm supporting Mike, uh, and we'll see what happens. Uh, before I make a decision that you've asked, uh, I'm just going to see how it plays out. Dan Coates, thank you so much for joining us on a very timely subject tonight. We yeah. really appreciate your time. Sure. Thank okay. you. Up next, the political calculus of these new charges against Donald Trump. Will they actually hinder his run for the White House or bolster his support within the party? Back now with our breaking news. The new legal peril for the former president is quite clear tonight with those new charges. But the political fallout could potentially be a boon to his ongoing presidential campaign, Joining me now, Ashley Allison, the former National Coalitions Director for the Biden-Harris 2020 campaign, and Doug High, the former Communications Director for the Republican National Committee. And Doug, we'll start with you since it's yep. your party uh, you. that people are raising <laughs> questions about. I mean, what we're hearing from the Trump team tonight, you know, Trump's calling this election interference. His campaign says it's nothing more than a continued and desperate attempt to harass him. I mean, how are Republicans going to respond to these new charges from Jack yeah. Smith? I think what we've seen in, in the primary so far, nothing is going to suggest that it changes. I'm reminded of the Talking Heads song where, where they once in a lifetime where they're saying, same as it ever was, same as it ever was. We're going to see the immediate term, which is Donald Trump's going to say what he said. He's going to raise a lot of money from it. We know that's going to happen. We can assume that his Republican candidates are going to be shy to criticize Trump directly on this for a whole lot of reasons. The long term still looks very dangerous for Donald Trump, and that's what he's referring to, I, I would say incorrectly, into what the political implications could be come next November. Yeah, well, they're not only not criticizing him, they're defending him. I mean, Elise Stefanik, the number three Republican in the House, says it's no coincidence that the day after a federal judge threw out Biden, Hunter Biden's plea deal yesterday, she said, sweetheart, plea bargain, she goes, quote, Biden's weaponized DOJ continues its witch hunt against President Trump, says our republic is in peril and our system of justice is broken. Well, I think we all agree that if we were going to be talking about criminal justice reform in this election campaign, we would be talking about the disparities between um, crack cocaine and powder cocaine. But instead, we're talking about a sitting president who was caught on tape. We have text messages, um, is now being indicted for uh, potentially knowing he did something wrong. So destroying the evidence that um, to, to try and keep him out of court. The system is not being bullied against Donald Trump. Donald Trump needs to get out of the race. Republicans need to have a backbone and say, this is not good for our party. This is not good for our country. And enough is enough. They won't do that because for whatever reason, they think it's a good brand. But it's not a good brand in the general election. Republican candidates, you would hope that when something like this comes out, they might say something. 
Republicans that support Trump, you would hope they would turn their backs, but they're not going to say something. But I will tell you, general election voters, those independent voters, those folks who sided uh, with Joe Biden, even though they voted for Donald Trump in 2016, they're not going to go back to that party if he's on the top of the ticket again. I mean, and so how do Republicans handle that? Because often we had Doug Burgum on the other night, the governor of North Dakota, who's running. And when we asked him about Trump's legal issues, he, he said he talked about what he was hearing from voters on the campaign trail. Obviously, issues that are critically important when it comes to inflation and other issues. But given that, I mean, this is something that they just kind of deflect on, it appears. There's a can and they keep kicking it down the road. And there, there are reasons for that that are somewhat understandable, given Trump's hold with the, with the base. When you see the polling, uh, it, it re- because of what, what is happening reinforces Trump's message, which I would say is a wrong one, but it reinforces Trump's message that the system is rigged. They feel stuck. But the reality is, in any other race against any other person, when your opponent is indicted multiple times, you don't wait and see. You don't look at the larger picture. You use that. And I've told Republican campaigns who say, look, we're going to wait to, to draw our contrast, which is the campaign term that we sometimes use. And we have a debate coming up in about a month. So maybe that's an opportunity. Indictments are opportunities. And we learn from Star Wars. Luke Skywalker had to confront Darth Vader. He didn't sit back and hope that the force or Han Solo would take care of it. And, and you would agree. But hope I, is not a strategy. Let me just say this. How are you going to draw a contrast on a debate stage for the person doesn't even show up? He's not even going to come to that debate. And if you're polling at zero, two percent, one percent, your strategy of defending this man is not working. Take a stand. Go to voters who want something else and say, I'm going to be the leader that you're looking for and tell them the policies and leave Donald Trump alone. But it me- meaning like leave him out of the political race completely. I think, I think you but, can talk about Donald Trump and talk about those voters you referenced and say Donald Trump cannot win. He will not bring those voters back home. I'm the candidate who will do so. And Donald Trump is distracted and all these other things. You can use this because it's what we would normally do in politics. And sometimes you have to, in Donald Trump world, treat things normally, believe it or not. Well, believe it or not, normally. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll define normally. Doug, hi. Ashley Allison, thank you both for being here. We'll stay with this breaking news. The special counsel has just leveled major new additional accusations against former President Donald Trump in the classified documents case as he is waiting on a potential other indictment in another case. We're going to discuss all of this with someone who has some familiarity with this subject. Former Nixon White House counsel John Dean joins me next. And we're back on tonight's breaking news. Former President Trump is facing major new charges in the Mar-a-Lago documents case, while a third potential indictment in the other investigation being conducted by Jack Smith still looms on the horizon. His attorneys are still waiting for word on that. Perspective now from John Dean, the former White House counsel to President Nixon. Good evening, John, and thank you for joining. You know, they say history does not repeat itself, but it certainly does rhyme. And hearing about an alleged attempt in these new documents to hide recordings and keep them out of the hands of investigators, I wonder what went through your mind when you heard that. First reaction was, we don't learn much from history. We certainly are inclined to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Anyone familiar with Watergate would have avoided the exact trap that Trump put himself into with his document situation. And it's not even just it's it's not just keeping the documents. It's the the cover up. I mean, we knew about the obstruction before reporters behind the scenes had obviously heard about the surveillance footage. But the the allegation that his aides that at his request, it seems like went to lengths to delete surveillance footage here. 
It, it's quite remarkable. You know, the, the obstruction of justice crime was not well known before Watergate. I'd never heard of it in law school. I never taught anything about it. Only a few prosecutors knew about it. After Watergate, everybody knows about obstruction and how easy it is to do to interfere with any investigation. So I think everybody's antenna has been up post-Watergate. Trump committed alleged uh, obstruction during the Russia investigation as he was charged by the uh, then special investigation. So he knows what it is to to hide things and to obstruct. And uh, it's just such a strong case they've made against him because he seems to have made every bad move you can make in obstructing. What about his co-defendants here? Walt Nada, we knew. Now Carlos has been added to this. I mean, if you could speak to them tonight, I mean, what would you say to them? They were working in his direction, clearly. Well, they would have been smart, and I'm surprised. I, you know, I don't know their lawyer. Uh, I don't think I do. I actually may know one by name. Uh, but somebody should have counseled them that they might have done a deal uh, early and and walked away from this. Uh, Trump might have done a deal early. These cases typically are not prosecuted. It's not the. Uh, it's it's really not the fact that he's got the classified information that is the big issue here. He had a right to it. and The way he got it was legitimate. He kept it when he was asked to return it and he obstructed. And that's where he got himself in trouble. So uh, I would tell them both cooperate, do the right thing, come forward, protect the national security. Don't let this be a scar forever on your life. Otherwise, you're facing some very serious uh, federal prison time. Yeah. And right now we know that both of their attorneys are people, attorneys who are paid through uh, by uh, obviously those political donations that Trump gets through through Save America. John Dean, you have better perspective than than anyone on this. Thank you for, for that perspective tonight. And we'll be right back just in a moment. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. CNN Primetime with Abby Phillip starts right now with a lot of news, Abby. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.